You're listening to Word on Health, the report with its finger on the pulse of popular medicine with Paul Pennington. Word on Health, feel very best of health. Research published by the British Journal of Health Psychology shows that whilst pet owners tend to be healthier in general, dogs appear to have a far more positive influence than cats. It's claimed that keeping a dog can prevent us from becoming ill, aid our recovery and even alert us if we're suffering from certain types of illness. Dr Deborah Wells, a senior lecturer in psychology, is author of the report. There's a substantial amount of evidence to suggest that dogs are good in terms of promoting our physical health. We know that we have to take dogs out for regular exercise, which of course can increase our physical fitness, and there's a very direct correlation between physical fitness and psychological well-being. Deborah, according to the evidence, lower blood pressure and cholesterol, fewer minor physical ailments, and a reduced likelihood of more serious medical problems are all benefits of dog ownership. Were there any particular age groups that benefited the most? Most of the research that has been conducted has explored adult populations. That said, it seems to be the case that elderly people may gain slightly more benefits, perhaps not so much from dog ownership because of course they're quite demanding on time and energy investment and things like that, but they do seem to gain a lot of benefits from other companion animals. Your report also highlights that dogs might act as an early warning system for a range of conditions. That's right, there's now quite a substantial amount of evidence to suggest that they can serve as quite useful early warning systems for people with the likes of cancer, epilepsy and even now hypoglycemia in people with diabetes. And finally, cat ownership has recently superseded the numbers of people with domestic dogs, but I understand that they too can have a positive impact on our well-being. Cats can also offer health advantages, but perhaps not to the same degree as domestic dogs, simply because they're a little bit more independent. They're less likely to be that content sitting on your lap and being stroked. But nonetheless, they can be used in a therapeutic capacity. Some cats, for example, are brought into nursing homes and other institutional settings for a little bit of pet-assisted therapy. Putting you in the picture, this is Word on Health with Paul Pennington. Sleep is the mysterious shift in consciousness that our bodies require every day. Without a good night's sleep, not only do we function less well, a run of poor sleep can have a profound effect on the internal workings of the body and lead to long-term health problems. Research shows that we're all sleeping less than previous generations, but when it comes to how much shut-eye we should be getting, the UK is divided. Jessica Alexander is from the Sleep Council. The old-fashioned view that eight hours of sleep a night is what you need is not strictly true. Everybody has individual needs and the amount they need is dependent on how much sleep is required to make them feel awake and refreshed each day. So for the vast number of us that research suggests don't get a good night's rest every night, how can we improve our quality of sleep? One of the first things people should do is looking at the sort of times you go to bed and get up because regular hours makes an awful lot of difference to your sleep quality. There's things about what you eat and what you drink and how much exercise you get during the day. What about environmental factors in the bedroom? It's much better to cut out as much light as possible and to reduce any extraneous noise where possible. You need to make sure that you're sleeping on a good comfortable bed that's going to make a big difference and room temperature and bed temperature is also important the ideal is around sort of 18 to 22 degrees centigrade what should we do if insomnia is a persistent problem this might be a symptom of more serious underlying causes and professional advice is obviously going to be needed in that situation there are increasing numbers
number of sleep clinics linked to our hospitals around our country treating serious sleep-related conditions like sleep apnea, which manifests itself by excessive snoring, for instance. So a visit to your GP in the first instance to discuss your problem may end up in a referral to a sleep clinic. And this really could be the best move you make in order to start feeling an awful lot better. This is Word on Health with Paul Pennington. Dementia is an umbrella term. It describes the symptoms that occur when the brain is affected by certain diseases or conditions. There are many different types of dementia, although some are far more common than others. Rachel Thompson is an Admiral Dementia Nurse Specialist. The majority of people who develop dementia are people who are in their 70s, 80s. However, there are some people who develop dementia when they're younger. There's still relatively a small proportion of people, but it is important to recognise that it isn't just an illness of old age. Alzheimer's disease is the most common type of dementia. It accounts for just over 60% of the different types. The other most common form is vascular dementia. There are people who have conditions such as high blood pressure or have heart conditions. They're increasingly at risk. We have Lewy body dementia. The symptoms are slightly different. You still might have problems with memory, but you might have things like problems with balance. Sometimes people see things that aren't there, so have visual hallucinations. May have problems with sleeping at night. Another type of dementia that commonly affects younger people something called frontotemporal dementia that part of the brain controls our emotions and our social functioning so people will say the memory isn't the first thing that they notice it might be somebody is perhaps much more irritable than usual or behave in an unusual way that can be particularly difficult to cope with there are a number of other very very unusual types of dementia but I think the other thing we have to watch out currently is alcohol related dementia because alcohol does have an effect on the brain as we get older we're all prone to the odd memory lapse like going upstairs and forgetting why you did or briefly forgetting names or details how do you distinguish that from when you should be concerned and talking to your gp for help sometimes as we get older the way that we store memory isn't as effective so that's something that we should expect the other thing that often happens is as we get older we're often very busy and we're not concentrating quite so much the difference between that and when somebody is beginning to develop cognitive impairment which means a type of dementia is that it goes beyond the just forgetting simple things. It might be that actually you forget something but you can't recall it at all. Whereas as we get older we'll forget something immediately then perhaps a couple of hours later we'll go aha I remember what that was now. So that's the difference and also it might be other things like forgetting things that really you wouldn't expect to forget like the names of objects or you go to a familiar place and you can't find your way around. Following a good balanced diet and getting regular exercise are cited as being preventative measures we can all take to help ourselves when it comes to a cure or treatment for dementia where do things stand there's not a cure there are however treatments for people who have an alzheimer's type dementia and for the other types of dementia particularly vascular dementias then we can do things that can help slow down the progression putting you in the picture this is word on health with paul pennington The saying goes, cold hands, warm heart. But for a significant number of the estimated 10 million people who live with Raynos, many of which are as yet undiagnosed, cold hands can trigger unfathomable pain. Tracy Spray is from the Raynos and Scleroderma Association. Raynos is a vascular condition that affects the extremities, the hands, the feet, in certain instances the nose and the tip of the tongue. It is a reaction where your extremities turn white, red, sometimes black, go very very cold and then very very painful when they start to warm up again. It has a big impact 
Usually people who have the condition have real issues with the cold, so winter is a big problem with them. And even in summer, even a slight drop in temperature, going down the supermarket freezer aisle, we've also heard of people in the workplace have real issues with things like air conditioning. Stress is related to the condition as well. It can affect people quite dramatically on a day-to-day basis. Tracy, I said in my introduction that an estimated 10 million people live with Raynaud's, which can be as a primary or secondary condition. I know it's still unclear as to what causes it. Who's most at risk of developing it? Both men and women do get Raynaud's, but we have found that it's more likely 9 out of 10 women. It can develop in babies. It can affect teenagers, suddenly have symptoms, but those symptoms can go. And then it can develop throughout people's lives. I understand a key aspect of your awareness push this year is to encourage people who encounter the symptoms but haven't yet been diagnosed not to suffer in silence. The area that we are concerned about for people's well-being is people with Raynaud's often end up going on to have another autoimmune condition. We unfortunately have heard of people ignoring their symptoms, so if you're concerned, please visit your GP. This is Word on Health with Paul Penningson. Macular degeneration can affect people of all ages, but it's rare in the young. Overwhelmingly, it affects the older generation, and people over 60 in particular. With our ageing population, it's a problem that's set to grow. The incidence of late-stage macular degeneration causing vision loss rises from 1 in over 250 at age 60 to 1 person in every 4 when people reach their 90s. Kathy Yelf is Chief Executive of the charity The Macular Society. The macula is a tiny area of the retina at the back of the eye. It's about the size of a grain of rice. And although it's very small, it's actually responsible for all the focused central vision that we have, all our colour vision and the fine detail of what we see. So the macula in older people can degenerate. There are two main forms of the disease. One is called dry macular degeneration, where the cells of the retina gradually die off, leaving something that's a bit like a worn-out, threadbare carpet. And that can take many months or years before people have significant vision loss. But then there's a more aggressive form called wet macular degeneration, in which new abnormal blood vessels grow into the macula, and these bleed and they leak fluid, and they can very quickly scar the macula and cause catastrophic loss of vision. So people who have very advanced macular degeneration can't read, for example. They can't drive. They can't see the food on their plate. They can't recognize the faces of their loved ones. So it can be an utterly devastating condition. Kathy, do we know what causes macular degeneration? Not really. The risk factors include age and certain genetic types. So we know that it's largely a genetic condition. It could be that we would all get macular degeneration if we lived long enough, but clearly some people get it earlier and some people get it and other people don't. Smoking is very bad for the whole body, but it turns out it's also very bad for the eyes. And if you smoke and have certain genetic profile, then you are virtually guaranteed to get macular degeneration. But this is where the research is so important. We need to fund a great deal more biomedical research into the causes of macular disease so that we can find really good effective therapies. That said, where are we at today with regard to treatment options? The wet form can be slowed down now with drugs which have to be unfortunately injected into the back of the eye and these drugs slow down the development of these abnormal blood vessels. But it does only slow it down. It's not a cure and it doesn't work for everybody and it does appear that over a period of years the drugs may become less effective. 
At the moment, there is no medical treatment at all for dry macular degeneration, although there is a drug in late-stage clinical trials which is showing some promise in terms of slowing down that form of the condition as well. But these drugs are very costly, put an extreme burden on both the patients and on the NHS, and ophthalmology clinics are absolutely chock-a-block and overflowing with people who need this new treatment. So it is very urgent that we find uh, something better. If we have concerns about macular degeneration, who should we turn to? Visit your high street optometrist, and you should do that regularly, at least every two years. High street optometrists nowadays have very sophisticated, very often photographic and scanning equipment, and they are much better placed, really, to diagnose eye disease than your GP. So, really, everybody should have a regular appointment with their optometrist in their high street. Even if they don't need glasses, they need to go regularly, as I say, at least every two years, so that somebody can have a look at the back of your eye and see if there are any signals of any concerns. What's very, very important is that if people notice a sudden change in their vision, distorted vision particularly, or they suddenly find difficulty adjusting to changes in lighting conditions, so adapting to dark conditions from bright conditions or the other way around, if they start to notice changes in their vision, they must go and see an optometrist urgently. Because if you have something like wet macular degeneration and you don't go quickly to have this treated, then the treatment doesn't work as well. And many people do leave it too late and they can't be treated. Word on Health, on air and online 52 weeks of the year with Paul Pennington. Word on Health, your personal prescription for your very best of health.